Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, hour two. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you would like to be on the program, I would be happy to hear from you. We got to switch to some raw politics now. I actually wasn't going to start here, but... I got stuff I got to say from the last hour that I didn't get to because I very graciously decided, of course, to spend time on your phone calls. <laughs> um, I got to play you some audio. This is, is Cedric Richmond, who used to be at the White House. He's now over at the DNC, uh, answering some questions about, uh, well, Biden's uh, student loan bailout. This is not a segment on the student loan, but you just got to listen. But is the president's move even legal? Here are the president and Speaker Pelosi just last year. I'm prepared to write off the $10,000 debt, um, but not 50. Mr. President, let me ask you. Because I don't think I have the authority to do it by Senate opinion. People think that the president of the United States has the power for debt forgiveness. He does not. He can postpone. He can delay. But he does not have that power. That would that has to be an act of Congress. What changed? Well, Congress acted. And if you look at the legislation that allowed President Trump and President Biden to delay loan repayment, it's the same legislation that allows him to forgive $10,000 worth of debt and $20,000 worth of debt to those who are on Pell Grants, which is the hardest and lowest income people that are going to college. So it's the same thing. Uh, and look, I, I, I call it how I see it. It's the same thing that allowed President Trump to do it that allows President Biden to do it. Right. Right. Um, except President Trump didn't forgive the loans. There, there's, there's a problem here for the Democrats. Uh, and the problem is that they've gotten very confident by summer polling. Fox News has a story that my buddy Greg actually texted it to me, and I had it in the stack of stuff, and it's it's worth talking about here. Uh, this is the headline. CNN, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post reports suggest GOP losing midterm steam. Majority is in play. One Republican lawmaker told CNN Republicans were caught off guard by the Roe decision. A once bullish GOP now sees a smaller House majority in its future, Presenting a challenge to McCarthy, CNN's headline published Sunday read, reporters Melanie Zanona and Manu Raju wrote that the Republicans were growing pessimistic about their midterm chances and in turn putting House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy on edge. As Democrats face historical headwinds, a struggling economy and high prices, many media pundits and strategists previously predicted a midterm bloodbath for the party. Zanona and Raju also emphasized Republicans believe, despite recent criticisms, Democrats' chances are still bleak. Last year, McCarthy bullishly predicted a 60-seat gain, a landslide that would give them a comfortable majority in a chamber where Republicans only need a net gain of four seats to take back power. But now Republican sources believe that a gain of 15 to 30 seats is more likely, and they're not ruling out the possibility of gaining in the single digits, a thin majority. Listen. Uh, I, I want to give you a snapshot of what happened on the weekly Sunday shows. 
I think this is deeply relevant. I am going to tell you I'm doing this on the fly. I am not doing the. I didn't get uh, Charlie and Philip involved cutting up audio uh, because I wanted to be able to do this on the fly to be able to give you a little bit of a sense of how things played out this weekend without getting them to capture and clip the tons and tons of audio uh, that would otherwise be out there. Uh, this is from uh, MSNBC. Uh, let me rearrange the, the soundboard here. Again, I'm, I'm doing this on the fly so you get a sense of stuff. Al Sharpton. Welcome back to Politics Nation. We have some breaking news. A federal judge in Florida has just issued a preliminary ruling on former President Donald Trump's request for the appointment of a special master. That was MSNBC. That was one of the issues on CNBC. Uh, then, of course, you have CNN. And you had Jim Acosta with all the hand-wringing about, um, uh, about the FBI and about Donald Trump. You've got it all. You've got uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, is out there defending Joe Biden, talking about uh, MAGA Republicans and fascism. I, look, I was very clear when, uh, when laying out uh, and defining uh, what... Uh, you know, MAGA Republicans have done, and you look at the definition of fascism, and you think about uh, what they're doing in, in attacking our democracy, what they're doing in taking away uh, our freedoms, uh, taking away, wanting to take away our rights, our voting rights. I mean, that is what that is. It is very clear. It's very interesting to me as a side note here that Karine Jean-Pierre is terrible, terrible, terrible at defending this White House, but is very good at attacking Republicans as fascist. She doesn't stumble. She doesn't him. She doesn't haul. Uh, she doesn't say, I'll get back to you. She loves to go on the attack. She's a progressive partisan uh, in a job where you need someone with some diplomatic skills and some intelligence, and she's not a very thoughtful person. But there's a larger issue here at stake. The national media continues to focus on the Republicans. Joe Biden at a fundraiser late last week referred to the Republicans as, as semi-fascist. And the media seized on that. Jim Acosta had on lots of people to talk about the Republicans as fascists. He had on Evan McMullen to suggest he and his wife had been threatened at gunpoint by someone. I don't remember a police report on that coming out, but maybe it actually happened. I don't know. Uh, you have the media focused on how terrible the Republicans are, and you have this ongoing uh, vibrant push by the left to continue to whip women into frenzies over abortion rights. They are convinced Roe is going to help them, and they saw anecdotal data in Kansas to suggest that, and Republicans keep taking the bait. All of the Fox News shows were focused relentlessly on defending Donald Trump and attacking the FBI. Where were the attacks on the student loan bailout? You didn't get a lot of that on Fox. Where are the attacks on the economy? You didn't get a lot of that either. We're reminding people that gas prices, though they've come down, are still much higher than when Donald Trump is president. You're not getting that. Republicans are taking the bait, and they shouldn't. They've got to change the narrative. Now, Kevin McCarthy is reserving $37 million in TV time in the last two months before the midterms. Nine out of every $10 targeting seats Joe Biden won in 2020. It is an aggressive buy and a reminder that despite all the growing confident talk and vibe shift talk of Democrats, that really the vibe shift is not very good. There was a story out over the weekend. The Federal Reserve says that American 
families will suffer pain as they try to get inflation under control. We are at August 29th. We are still more than two months from the election. And all of this talk about vibe shifting, it's not a coincidence. It comes in the landscape of seasonal polling shifts, as I have talked ad nauseum about with the Democrats. There is a seasonal polling shift. And I don't think that it's going to be sustainable for the Democrats. This is uh, from Market Watch. Uh, this happened, uh, this was late Friday after the markets closed. Dow closes down 1,000 points and NASDAQ falls 3.9% after Fed Chief Powell warns of pain to households in the inflation battle. In, in remarks that were more hawkish than many investors anticipated, Powell tried to dispel any hopes for a less aggressive monetary policy stance by insisting that the central bank will persist in its inflation fight, even if it means causing near-term economic pain for American families. This is the direct quote. Reducing inflation is likely to require a sustained period of below-trend growth, while higher interest rates, slower growth, and softer labor market conditions will bring down inflation. They will also bring some pain to households and businesses. Will bring some pain. The Dow, as I talk, is down another 45 points. NASDAQ down 55. The vibe shift for the Democrats came at a time where Republicans are focused on defending Trump. Democrats are focused on attacking Trump. The news media is focused on Trump and Mar-a-Lago and on abortion rights. No one's talking about the economy right now in the mainstream media. And the mainstream media, whether you like it or not, still shapes a lot of how people view the world. And Republicans have to overcome this narrative. You know, when I was a campaign strategist, and I would get candidates in and explain to candidates how you've got to shape your message. What I would tell candidates all the time was uh, whenever the media wants you to go to something that you don't want to go to, you answer the question by answering the question you wish was asked. George W. Bush was very good at this when he ran for president. What was George W. Bush's message? Hope is on the way. Hope is on the way. That was Bush's theme in the year 2000. And the media would say, well, what do you think about what Bill Clinton and Al Gore said about you today? Blah, 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 blah. What do you think about the stack? What about your DUI? I want the American people to say that I bring a different message. I bring hope. Hope is on the way. I realize that the politics of usual in Washington, D.C. are the politics of personal destruction, as President Clinton has said. And now he's engaging in, and I want the American people to know hope is on the way. What do you think about the Federal Reserve raising interest rates, Governor Bush? Well, I want the American people to know the Fed has to do what the Fed has to do, but I intend to bring tax reform and lower the burden of the economy on the American people. Hope is on the way. Every time Bush would pivot back to his own message. So Republicans, what do you think about the FBI raiding Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago and the redacted um, the, the redacted warrant. Well, I think that there are questions the FBI needs to answer about the politicization of it, but I am far more interested in helping the American people uh, survive Joe Biden's terrible economy. 
I will focus on asking tough questions of the Biden administration and what they've done to provoke inflation. Well, what do you think about what what Joe Biden said about the Republicans being semi-fascist? Well, I think the president has destroyed the American economy and people wouldn't be looking towards radical solutions if Joe Biden had brought back the normalcy he promised and under Republican leadership, we will bring that normalcy and stability back. Gas prices may be coming down, but they're still far higher than when Republicans last controlled Washington, D.C. Well, what, 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 what do you think about the latest Donald Trump stuff? What do you think about what Trump said? Well, I'm far inter- more interested in what my voters say, and my voters say they're really tired of Joe Biden's economy. Don't take the bait, Republicans. Make it the economy. Make it the economy. It's what people are interested in. Inflation. The Federal Reserve says there's pain out there, and you know what? The American people still feel it. The media is not focused on it. When people are in a crowd and someone starts a conversation, Isn't it the natural inclination of Americans to focus on that conversation? The media has decided to start the conversation for the Democrats in the last two months of the election about Donald Trump. You don't have to take the bait. And the Democrats believe there's a vibe shift. That's what they're calling it, a vibe shift in their favor. In CNN, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, they're all saying, oh, you know, look, look, at the, look, at the, look at the polling. The polling has shifted. The GOP is not doing as well as they once were. Why are we putting our faith in polling that the Democrats have admitted can't quite capture what's going on in the swing states when so many coastal areas of this country are dominated by progressives? They're the ones most interested in talking to pollsters. The polling may not be accurately captured. it. We should not presume the polling is accurate. The trends you can certainly believe in, and the trends have certainly been in the polling average to show momentum shifting in Joe Biden's way, and I think that's fair. He's had very favorable press coverage for the last several weeks. The media's given it to him. But the underlying economic trends are headed towards a recession, if not into a recession. And... Summer, late summer, early fall polling tends to show a bump for the Democrats. After September 15th, really October 1st, we'll have a better snapshot of what the trends are. And if the trends are the Federal Reserve keeps raising rates, the market keeps going down, gas prices start creeping back up, and people are dealing with back-to-school turmoil as Democrats continue to insist your kids have to be masked because COVID is resurgent or uh, monkeypox is spreading amongst us. I think the vibe shifts again. And I don't think the vibe shift to the Democrats is something permanent. As much as the media wants to talk about it and as much as the media wants to focus on anything other than the bad news for the Democrats, on a daily basis, Americans still feel like this country is off the right track, headed towards calamity, and they're going to take it out on the Democrats, not the Republicans, because the Democrats control everything. And the polling? I don't know that the polling has captured that vibe shift yet, but I suspect we'll see that trend coming again. Everybody asked me about bowl and branch sheets. I actually put up a picture the other day. We got some in our house because we order from them. We actually are customers. And they're like, oh my gosh, are they really that good? Yes, they get softer every single time you wash them. I mean, they use 100% organic cotton threads. They're super soft. You get such a good sleep. They have just the great weight to them. Like I had a pair of sheets we actually threw away when we replaced them with Bull and Branch where is they were just like too light and also not very soft. The Bull and Branch, they're 
perfect. The drape across your body when you sleep, absolutely perfect. Bull and Branch uses the highest quality threads on Earth for superior softness, for a better night's sleep. They've got over 10,000 stellar reviews. Their signature sheets come in nine neutral colors in all sizes from twin to California king. You will feel the difference. And they're 100% free from toxins, no pesticides, no formaldehyde, no harsh chemicals. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at bowlandbranch.com. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. The promo code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. Before I get back to anybody's calls, this is kind of a short segment here, and I want to do justice to phone calls. I, I should give you uh, a an anniversary that I missed. Uh, the old line state is Maryland's nickname, the state of Maryland. And uh, the old line saved America. It is the 243rd anniversary of the Battle of Brooklyn. Now, it actually happened um, on Saturday, but of course, we weren't on radio. Uh, it was six weeks after signing the Declaration of Independence. There is an old Dutch farmhouse in Brooklyn that was built around 1699. It's called the Old Stone House. There's a Maryland flag that hangs out front of that house. Uh, during the Revolutionary War, the British decided for a swift response to the Declaration of Independence, they sent a massive armada to New York to capture and kill Washington, his fellow generals, and the American rebels. And 400 young men from Maryland decided to serve as a distraction for Washington to be able to escape. So the British, to give you an idea, they sent the biggest armada in a history at the time. Put that in perspective. Uh, the bigger armada than what the Spanish sent to invade Britain. The British sent 450 ships and 10,000 men across the Atlantic to New York Harbor to crush Washington. They surrounded the Continental Army who had taken up uh, in Brooklyn. They backed them up to the East River. Washington needed uh, time to be able to rally enough boats to get them out, very much like Dunkirk for the American Revolution. And there were 2,000 troops who were stranded. They needed to get down to the lower end of Manhattan to where they had uh, defensive forts and cannons to fight off the British. And so 400 Maryland soldiers rallied. The major, Mordecai uh, Gist, said that uh, he would stay, and they rallied, and those 400 Marylanders raised so much hell, the British were convinced that the rebels had surrounded them in that old stone house, and they fought there while Washington and the 2,000 men were able to get boats and sail down the harbor to safety. Fascinating story. Greetings, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Uh, I, I, I got to uh, give you too much information out of the gate. I, I got I to gotta admit and acknowledge something to all of you. It is very difficult. It is actually very difficult for me to do this, to admit, but I must. I won't be here tomorrow. I know I'm slack. I'm gone on Friday, last Friday, and now I'm gone tomorrow. Friday was actually my daughter's birthday. We took her to NASA. We'll talk about that later. Uh, tomorrow, so you know that the age for getting a colonoscopy used to be 50 and now they've lowered it to 45. The FDA, the medical community, I think they just want to make money off of us. Well, I've hit that age. 
And so I got to have one. So I haven't had anything to eat today. I did have my coffee. I did. But from here on out, the rest of the day and tomorrow, I get to spend my time in the bathroom until at 1230 tomorrow, I get to go be probed awkwardly up the backside. My dad is trying to convince me to swallow a glass eyeball to scare the doctor so that that my, my, my rear end is looking at him as he sticks in his camera. I don't know that I'm going to do that. I, I, I'm, I thought about borrowing Dan Crenshaw's glass eye, but I, I just, nope, not going to do it. Um, Probably not. Maybe. I don't know. It would be funny. I'd be asleep, though, and I would miss it. But nonetheless, that's what I'm going to be doing tomorrow. Just need you all to know. Won't be here. I think Victor's filling in, but I'll be back. Now, we have to move on to your phone calls. I'm going to go to Chuck. Chuck, you're up next. Welcome. Hey, Chuck. Hey, Eric. I was going to let your listeners know I'm a uh, recently retired federal law enforcement agent agent, uh, in the Atlanta area, gun carrier with rest powers and all that good stuff. It's not that difficult to weaponize rank and file agents if your recruiting efforts target a particular demographic. That is what has happened since the current administration took over. We've seen our recruiters, my former recruiters, target particularly minority females. That's what they're going for. And I will preface this by saying I am a white male. I am a conservative. But thats it, it's not that difficult to do if that is your drive in recruiting. Listen, uh, you're not alone in telling me this. I, I've, I've heard this from a number of people that as the government has prioritized diversity over competence, and that's not to say they're not hiring competent, diverse people, but as they prioritize diversity over the core functions right, right. and mission, uh, that that does have something to do with it. And I'm not surprised by that. And, and I also think there's something at the senior level, uh, when you're comfy in charge in Washington, D.C., you kind of lose sight of the actual goals of the agency. I mean, all of Washington is consumed with this intersectional nonsense stuff in the Biden administration. Of course, you know, Chuck, they will just look at you and say that um, you're just a white conservative male nursing a grudge. Um, but I, I, I think there's something to that, Chuck. I think there's something to your point on that. And they really are, I think, prioritizing things they should not necessarily prioritize. Now, I, I got I to gotta move on because there are things that must be discussed. Um, one of those things is I got to get back to the electric car piece. The New York Times ran this op-ed. It is from Edward Niedermeyer. Uh, he is the author of Ludicrous, the unvarnished story of Tesla Motors. He's a uh, podcast host on the future of transportation. Let me just, just get you this. If you're lucky enough to drive one of the premium electric vehicles that fits this description, big, heavy, powerful, ready to go at a moment's notice, you already may feel like your consumer desires are in perfect alignment with planetary environmental goals. After a decade of manufacturers selling EVs at luxury car prices, the government has made concerted efforts to get more people driving them. The recently signed Inflation Reduction Act offers expensive, extensive and expensive tax credits. To buy both new and used EVs, California just announced it's going to ban the sale of gas-powered vehicles starting in 
2035. However, these carrot and stick approaches merely tweak a fundamental approach to EV policy that's failed to achieve its goals. Rather than unleashing a mass market of affordable EVs, more than a decade of subsidies favoring large batteries has created an overheated market for premium EVs. A serious electrification policy will have to be tailored to the way we actually drive, not the way we think we do. Like almost all EV-related challenges, it comes down to battery. Providing the power and range that have made EVs appealing to American buyers requires massive batteries, which help make the current crop on average 30% more expensive than gas-powered vehicles. The problem will likely get worse as battery supply chain constraints make batteries more expensive. The path to lower battery costs is extracting and processing materials at greater scale. And blah, 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 blah. Uh, the, 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 the large part here, the bottom line, is you want an electric car with a 300-mile range. When's the last time you actually drove 300 miles? By improving home charging for urban apartment dwellers and prioritizing vehicles with smaller batteries, rather than road trip enabling charging stations and big batteries, we can maximize the miles we affordably electrify. In an era of battery scarcity, we could have two 150-mile electric vehicles for the battery capacity in every 300-mile EV, or using the same 300-mile EV, you could have six plug-in hybrids with 50 miles of electric range for daily driving and a gasoline engine for rarer road trips. Essentially, the guy is saying, why not have two cars instead of one? Why not have two cars instead of one? Why not have a gas car that also is an electric hybrid? The responses to a tweet of mine I put up on Friday, I drove my family 431 miles. And on Saturday, I drove my family 431 miles home. Now, on the way to Florida, I didn't have to stop for gas. I have a big vehicle. It holds me, my wife, our kids. It could have held the dog, except we didn't take the dog. And it held all of our stuff. And I drive that vehicle in daily use. My office is from my home to my office, 81 miles. Takes me an hour and 15 minutes to get there if traffic is optimal. It has taken me before more than two hours depending on wrecks on the highway, et cetera. The response to my tweet pointing this out, even from some friends of mine, was essentially, oh, you should give EVs a chance. They're nice. Well, I'm not going to go buy a new car right now. And many Americans can't afford even a used electric vehicle right now. But the other issue here, the bigger issue, the one that gets me, the one that irks me, is these people, including some well-meaning friends of mine, are essentially saying, you just don't understand. No, no, I get it. If I could buy a Tesla, I would buy a Tesla. And I would use the Tesla to go back and forth to Atlanta all the time and keep my Denali for when the family piles into the car. But I don't have the money to have two cars right now. And most Americans don't. And the whole idea of, well, we know better than you, and you should just try it, you'll like it, and good for the government forcing you out of your comfort zone, is nanny state nonsense, even from some people who call themselves conservatives. I mean, this article admits that actually uh, EVs cost about 30% more if you want one with a large range. And your problem is you want a bigger range. Actually, the problem is I live in the Atlanta, Georgia area. I know what it's like to be stuck in traffic for three hours 
and have to get off because you got to go to the bathroom or you're hovering on empty with your car. What about an electric battery that in some cases with some of these vehicles, when they go to zero, you can't start recharging them again. You got to send it, put it on a truck and take it to the dealer. That still exists in some EVs. The idea that the government knows better than you and your friends who've gone electric, they know better than you. It's smugly condescending. I mean, do these people not have any empathy at all? So, well, actually, if you would just give it a try, you narrow-minded bigot, you you hate electric vehicles, I, I would frankly be fine with the Tesla. My wife would ridicule me. She's very anti-electric car. I'm totally fine with having an electric vehicle. It would save me a tremendous amount of gas money. It would. But where am I going to put an electric vehicle and whose money is going to go to get it? And that would mean I would have to give up my existing vehicle in order to swap out for a Tesla. And then what do I have to do? Rent a car when we go on road trips? Do you know how expensive it is and how hard it is to find a rental car these days? Do you people not live in the real world with the rest of us? I'm totally fine. Good for you that you got your electric car. The fact that you are fine with the government coercing everyone else into getting one, I have a real problem with. And by the way, they are coercing you. They are bullying you into getting one by refusing to drill for more oil, making us energy dependent on others. And guess what? The relentless pollution that comes from the lithium mining is going to become a problem. There's a story in the New York Post, or New York Times, rather, of all things, secret data, tiny islands, and a quest for treasure on the ocean floor. Subtitle, mining in parts of the Pacific Ocean was meant to benefit poor countries, but an international agency gave a Canadian company access to prized seabed sites with metals crucial to the green energy revolution. And guess what's happening? About 1,500 miles southwest of San Diego, the metals company based in Vancouver has secured exclusive access to tons of seabed rock packed with cobalt, copper, and nickel, enough, it says, to power 280 million electric vehicles, equivalent to the entire fleet of cars in the United States. But guess what? It could be environmentally damaging to the oceans to do it, and you people don't care. Because you think we all need to go that way. What really, my my the thing that irks me about this, and again, when I criticize this, people hear me saying I don't like electric cars. That's not true. What I dislike is people telling everyone that you've got to have one and that you have to get out of your gas-powered vehicles to save the planet. And what actually is happening is that they are ignoring that you're trading one form of pollution for another. Just because you can't see the pollution from the electric vehicle doesn't mean it's not happening. And that's the conversation these people don't want to have. Good for you. You save money. You were able to afford one, and you don't need a big family vehicle that you can pile everybody and your cargo in. You can travel around in your little Tesla SUV and pretend it's a giant Suburban, even though it's not. Good for you. I'm glad that you can go from point A to point B and you find charge stations where you can charge very quickly and you can get out and stretch your legs and it's good for you and you, you don't get blood clots. Good for you. Good for you. But what about the middle class person who can't afford it? They do tend to average 30% more than a comparable gas fuel vehicle. I don't see many electric minivans out there at a reasonable price for middle class families. And so it's your willingness 
to substitute your values and moral choices and opinions for everyone else in America and assume if everyone just lived like you and made choices like you, everyone would be as fine as you. And that's definitionally anti-conservative. The idea that you can impose your system of ideas and policy choices on me is not conservative when it comes to these lifestyle positions on whether or not to force everyone into an electric car or not, because the reality is they're more expensive. Dollar for dollar, taking the same size and criteria for a car that's gas-powered versus battery, you're telling people they need to pay more, and the $7,500 tax credit really doesn't get them where they need to be. The problem here is, again, it's government bureaucracy forcing Americans to live a more expensive lifestyle and telling them they're saving the planet when the reality is they're not really saving the planet. They're offloading and offsetting one measure of pollution for another. Just because you don't see the children in Africa dying from the poisoned water spilling out of the lithium mines doesn't mean it's not happening. But then you get to sleep well at night thinking about all the gas money you saved while the poors have to take the bus because they can't get a gas-powered car and they can't afford a battery-powered car. It seems to me it's kind of narrow-minded nonsense from people who smugly are self-assured that their way is the right way and if only you bigots would wake up, you would be fine living their lifestyle. Except the problem is it's your lifestyle and they're asking you to conform to them, which doesn't seem very American to me. It sounds very command-and-control communist. Now, we got to move on. I got to get that off my this this the, the reaction to me putting up a tweet on that piece was just more infuriating than the piece itself. All the smug elites assuring me that if only I would get a battery powered car, I'd like it. I would be fine to have one. But I got a car note right now, and I'm not going to trade out my big vehicle for a smaller vehicle that can't get me as far. And you don't you shouldn't have to either if you don't want to. But all that being said, one of the great groups that's fighting for conservatives right now against nonsense like this is Patriot Mobile. They have guaranteed great service. If you go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, not only do you get free activation, again, patriotmobile.com slash Eric, you get free activation by using my name, but they also have a very detailed map. In fact, I'm going to do it for you. Go to patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. And when the site loads, what you see is up at the top, check coverage. When you check coverage, you can put in your street address and it will zoom all the way into your home so that you can see just how great the coverage map is. I mean, they've got 4G, they've got 5G, they've got data, they've got voice. It's fantastic. You go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, or you can call them 972-PATRIOT, 972-PATRIOT. Again, guaranteed great service. They're based out of Texas. They're awesome people. They share your values. They contribute a portion of their profits to the causes you care about from the Second Amendment to life. Helping conservatives get elected. It's patriotmobile.com slash Eric. Get guaranteed great service and do business with a company that shares your values and wants your business. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425 if you would like to be on the program. Speaking of the elite and the harm they are causing to you, well, I got bad news for you. We are headed into food crisis and famine, not because of the war in Ukraine. The European elite who worship Mother Earth 
and fear climate change above all else, have reduced ammonia production, which is directly impacting fertilizer production, which is directly impacting food supply. Yara International ASA cut output because of gas prices, among other things. The Norwegian producer says it's further cutting its ammonia capacity to about a third, adding to a flurry of European fertilizer curbs and shutdowns. Industry researcher CRU Group estimates Europe has lost half its ammonia capacity and 33% of its nitrogen fertilizer operations. Part of it is because of the cost of gas. The Europeans got so addicted to Russian natural gas and the Russians have curbed supplies over the war in Ukraine, it's become a problem. But also, nitrogen and ammonia and its production of both, the production of both more than the actual gases, contribute to climate change and they've needed to clean up their factories that produce it to make them more energy efficient and less polluting. And that has also driven up costs and made it more expensive. Uh, and we've got worldwide problems as a result. The world needs fertilizer. You know, Sri Lanka tried to go to organic farming nationwide. It was a disaster and caused mass starvation and massive inflation and food costs there. It's a real problem, and it's hitting this country as well as we have spent a lot of time outsourcing fertilizer production to Europeans. We're going to have higher food costs in this country. All the costs are going up, and so much of it is related to the green agenda. They want to blame Russia, but a lot of it is because of the green agenda, and the green agenda is bankrupting the world and driving us to starvation, and they're all a bunch of Malthusians who ultimately believe we've got too many people anyway, so the Greens are totally okay with this, even if you're not.